It's not often that you get to interview your mentor, someone who's helped you along the way in your business and establishing yourself as a professional. And this week, I get to interview none other than Derek Young, a mentor and a friend who has helped me in many ways. And this episode is one that you really do not want to miss because we're going to be talking about his book, Make My Hindsight Your 2020. You don't want to miss this. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Brand with Markeith Brayton. So excited to be with you today because today is a very special interview, a special interview because I'm interviewing a mentor, a friend, someone I've known for quite some time, and he has taken enough time out with me today just to share a little bit about himself, about how he shows up in the world, as well as his latest book, Make my hindsight your 2020. I hope I got that right. So let me introduce you to him. His name is Derek Young, and I'll read a little bit of his bio, but he'll share a little bit more about himself. Leaders from the world's greatest organizations called Derek D.Y. Young when they want to create a winning culture. As a management consultant, keynote speaker, executive coach, corporate leader, and community advocate, DY has conducted more than 10,000 engagements for numerous household names. His clients include AT&T, Bass Pro, Catholic Charities, Eli Lilly, on and on and on. But for me, he's just a great all-around father, friend, husband, and mentor. And so we're just going to go ahead and welcome D.Y. to the Markeith Brayton Maximize Your Brand podcast. What's up, D.Y.? Hey, man, this is, this moment is the kind of thing I live for. And I say that because I remember when you sat in my living room with a dream and a concept and a desire, and it's just so exciting to see you carrying that out. There are so many people who have these dreams, have these visions for what they want to do, but they never execute. So I'm just proud of all you've accomplished and definitely, man, excited to be a part of the podcast today. I appreciate that. It means a lot coming from you. And so to go ahead and get started, why don't you just introduce yourself some more and sure. let us know how you show up in the world each and every day. Yeah, I sure. So I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, I was born and raised by my mother uh, uh, and my grandmother uh, also raised me. And they taught me early on that it's all about work. It's all about respect. And it's all about understanding people. And I will tell you that those three foundations have really guided me. Uh, my mother was a person, Marquise, who used to read two books, four books, six books, sometimes eight books every two weeks. So by age four, I could read, which enabled me to start school a year early, skip the fifth grade. So, so because of her foundation, I started high school at 12, college at 16, and 
went into the corporate world at 20. And my background does not follow any specific pattern, mm -hmm. but I've always been an impact person. Yeah. Where can I work? What can I be involved with that is going to positively change the atmosphere, positively change how people are being treated, how the company is performing, you name it. So I started the Federal Reserve in auditing and economic research, went to Sprint headquarters in Kansas City, where I was in college, and worked for Sprint in their collections division, moved to Nashville in 1990 to work for En-ROADS, which is a big nonprofit that helps high school and college kids get into the business world. And the job that really set my trajectory was with Dollar General. I got hired by the CAO, who ultimately became president. And Dollar General is really where I grew up. Uh, I did mm -hmm. corporate training. I ran all the leadership development. I started two functions at DG. I started our corporate social responsibility function, and then ultimately our continuous process improvement function. Have always been involved in the nonprofit world. I ran 100 Black Men of Middle Tennessee for a bit. Yeah. And then my last corporate gig was to head up diversity for Cracker Barrel. And in all of those roles, the one common denominator was creating systems where people get treated well, people get treated better so that they perform better, so the company performs better. And then for the last 12 years, I've been full-time as a management consultant focusing on corporate culture and a keynote speaker. And uh, you know, my, my life revolves around my relationship with the Lord, my wife, Allison, will be celebrating 25 years this year and our four kids. And, um, you know, that's that's my world. And that's what it's all about. Awesome. And that's why I wanted to bring you on to the podcast, because the, whole, the podcast foundation is really helping people to be introduced to individuals who have leveraged their skills and abilities. Um, and I like to say their personal brand to right. create a business another stream of income and opportunity for themselves. Because I truly believe that we all have a gift or a talent or some level of skill that we could leverage and maximize upon to create opportunities for ourselves. And I good. knew that you had stepped into uh, your own business from corporate America, and I thought it would be a great interview to have. And so let us know a little bit about you know, what did that transition look like? Did you make the decision on your own? Hey, I'm going full-time in business or was this uh, a decision that you had to make because somebody else made it for you? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I realized I was an entrepreneur my first day as a 20-year-old internal auditor at the Federal Reserve Bank. Um, I was sitting at my little cube reading the pamphlets and learning about the Federal Reserve where I was going to be working. And about 11.15, my new boss, he walked up to my cube and he's put his jacket on. And he said, okay, it's, uh, we're going to lunch. And I said, oh, okay, well, y'all y'all have a good, you know, have a good one. He said, no, <laughs> you know, we're going to lunch. And I, I said, wait, me? He said, yeah. I said, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not even hungry yet. He said, no, this is when we go to lunch. Now you got to remember now, I'm literally, this is my first day on the job. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm not really hungry yet. No, no, this is when we go to lunch. I think, Marquis, that was the moment when I realized if another man's going to be able to tell me when I go eat, something probably needs to be changed in that picture. So I've had the entrepreneurial sort of vibe, if you will, for a long time. And I got to a point uh, when I left Cracker Barrel, worked on a, a private Christian school, 
got that going. It didn't last as long as we wanted. And I was at this point where I'd been in the corporate world. I had had a vision as a college junior to be head of community affairs for Fortune 50. Uh, so I was head of community affairs for Fortune 200, not quite 50, but so I kind of done that. And my wife had actually started our consulting practice two years prior. And she just looked at me and said, look, man, you're, you're 44, 45 years old. You've done what you need to do in the corporate world. Come on in. Let's do it. So I joined my wife in our consulting practice. And it's been 12 years for me. And, uh, but I'll tell you, I could not do this, what I do for clients now, without that experience from back then. So what I tell a lot of people that I do coaching for, Marquis, is um, in essence, what you want to do is you don't want to think about what you do, in essence, what you deliver. You actually want to think about the impact mm. that happens as a result of what you do. That's really what you're selling. And more often than not, when Simon Sinek talks about the why, the, the why he's talking about, in my experience, is more often than not, it's, it's tied into that impact of all the different talents and skills that you bring. So, but that was, that was, that was my start. It was in part a change in career. And it was also in part, it was just time to get it done because I wasn't getting any younger. And I like that word impact. I like how it, it, it really is somewhat the, the foundation of, of why you made the move. Ultimately yeah. your corporate career, uh, even your, uh, career within the nonprofit sector was all about making uh, impact. And so how does a person really begin to think about the impact that they want to make? I'm, I'm on a job, mm -hmm. perhaps, and I know that this job is not my end-all be-all. I know that I may not even be fulfilled working this job. How do I get to the point where I'm asking myself, what type of impact do I want to make in the world and how do I take action? Yeah, that's, that's a rich question, man. I think two things initially strike me. One is I tell everybody I work with, you need it, your own advisory board. Mm. You need five to seven people who have different types of skills, backgrounds, and perspective who are regularly speaking into your life. Because if I was going to say 1A, because you need that honest feedback. You need that honest perspective on, once again, not what do I do? I'm an accountant, right? I am a bookkeeper. I am a mail carrier. That's, that's what you do, but what is the result of what you do? So what I would say is, number one, is to find a group of advisors who can give you honest feedback mm -hmm. about what it is you bring to the table that is results-oriented, impact-oriented, and ask yourself, have you ever seen anybody monetize that? Nine times out of 10, the answer is probably going to be yes. Mm -hmm. So if it's been monetized before, it can probably be monetized again. The second thing then is, I think, Marquis, the person has to say to themselves, there is a big difference when somebody else is doing accounting, when somebody else is doing uh, marketing, when somebody else is taking the trash out. But when you go independent, you've got to decide, am I willing to work as hard for myself as I was willing to work for someone else when the other supportive elements were a part of the picture. Because you know it now, you've been doing this a while. You are, you are marketing, you are finance, you are vision, you are strategy, you are 
you know, your housekeeping. I mean, you are everything that goes into Marquise Braden Enterprises. So those are two things I think. I mean, there's a lot more than that, but those are two that come to my mind readily on what I see that really trips people up is they're too tunnel vision and they're too narrow in their perspective. So getting that broader perspective and then they just don't realize that it's a it's get it done or shut down. There's not an option when you're solo. And a lot of you know, a lot of us, even I had it, right? We we think about being our own boss creates more freedom. And it should eventually, but in those beginning stages, you don't have any more free <laughs> freedom, you know, See, launching and starting that business than you did the, when you had a job. Exactly. And here's the thing, Marquis. Listen to your own language. You said becoming my own boss. You still got a boss. Hello. Hello. There's still somebody who is going to be driving you. And in that case, it's you to get things done, to stay up late, to satisfy clients, to deal with clients that are hard to deal with. You now are your own boss. So you've got to have that sort of two sides of of your brain where you can say, all right, self, we got to get it moving. All right, self, you, you, you're not quite moving as fast as you should. So. Yeah, that's real good. And so I think this is a great segue to kind of uh, dive into the, the book and, and the book title, Make My Hindsight yeah. in 2020, right? Because yeah. what you're wanting to do, yeah, that's good. Thanks for bringing it. Uh, what you want to do is to use your experience to help those coming after you, whether they are going into the corporate world or whether they're thinking about entrepreneurship and starting their own business. Make my hindsight your 2020. Tell us so, how you came up with that that title. So as a person whose whole goal in life is to help other people go from good to great to legendary, that's my whole goal. Uh, I, don't, I don't even have any hobbies. I mean, I, I, I sort of, I, I, I feel funny sometimes saying that, but I speak, I coach, I train, I consult, I mentor, I speak, I coach, I train. That's all I do. That's all I want to do. That's all I care about doing. What I began to see is over and over again, when I would go speak at Eli Lilly or Belmont University or Meharry, wherever it might be, I kept finding that people need frameworks. People need They need step-by-step guides to show them how they can have more joy at their job in the face of a boss who's not that great, in the face of a downward economy. So what struck me is I really needed to try to put together some of the best of the best advice that I've seen people use to change their own world. Mm. And what this book contains is 52 insights or hindsights, because again, they're me looking back, but it's me looking back over my career and the thousands of people that I've worked with. Um, I looked at it one day, Markeith, and I tallied it up, and I've worked with over 100,000 leaders in 40 different industries. Now, I I might be saying I'm old, but that's all good. Um, But the point is, I've seen so many things that work and so many things that don't work So this book is just a microcosm of some of those ideas. The book is sort of targeted at millennials because I don't feel like people are trying to reach millennials. I I feel like people are talking at millennials, but they're not giving them concrete step-by-step tools. This book, I think, would be good for anybody, but it's really about 
saying, hey, here are some successes, some mistakes that I've seen from myself and other people I've worked with. Hey, have at it so you can have greater success much faster, much earlier than, than I did. And I'm glad you brought that up about, you know, millennials, because quite, quite honestly, I'm like, I'm right at the verge of at the end of Gen X and the beginning of millennials. And so millennials right. really are not that young, right. <laughs> the ones that are, you know, in the early 80s. That's right. And so what would be, you know, one of the top pieces of advice for those millennials who may have been in their, you know, careers for at least five to 10 years now, and mm -hmm. they're getting a little antsy about there has to be more to life than this. Oh boy, that's, that question is not only good, but it's right in line with what I believe and what I teach. The first chapter in the book is about developing a clear purpose. Mm. There is a word that we use in America, we use it in other countries, but usually we use it for people who are in ministry. Mm -hmm. And the word is calling. Mm. I believe, Marquise, most people think of their life as job, social life. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's bad. But what I will tell you is if you've been working a while, if the light is starting to dim a little bit, the passion is not there, you can do your work blindfolded and still make your six-figure salary. What I try to say to my clients and what we say in this book is, what is the calling on your life that your career becomes a part of? Your mm -hmm. career becomes then the jobs, the businesses, and the community and volunteer activities you do working in concert to produce this bigger purpose, right? That drives you. I have met cardiothoracic surgeons who make a half million dollars a year who are miserable. Yeah. I have met principals who are just totally frustrated because it's not about kids anymore. It's about data and numbers. So the point is that first chapter is really big on you discovering that deeper, bigger, broader passion and finding how everything in your wheelhouse takes you in that direction versus just a salary or just a title, that kind of thing. Yeah, just a salary just a title because I can just think about when I was, you know, climbing the corporate ladder per se. And it was all about this whole idea of, of title position, you know, office. Uh, and the more and more I began to think, think about it. And after I experienced the job layoff and began to work for myself, I kind of felt like um, naked. Yeah. Going to yeah. events, you know, going to yeah. social networking events. Cause I was like, well, what, a, what do I, right. See? What do I do or who am I? That's good. And talk a little bit about our being more than what we do. Yeah. You know, everybody who is going to watch and see this, this, this conversation we're having, everybody has different beliefs. Everybody has different, um, background, so forth and so on. So I'm a person who really believes that God creates each person with a unique purpose. It may look like somebody else's. It may contain some of the same things, but the reality is you're the only one out of the 7 billion, I guess they say, that are currently living and the billions who came before us and the billions who will come after us. You're the only one who can do that unique thing. 
So what strikes me is we focus so much on what we get out of things. And that's, again, that's not bad. I've just sort of learned to focus on what I'm becoming. And if, if my work is making me more respectful, mm-hmm. if my work is making me more thoughtful, if my work is making me more appreciative of the things that I have, the places I get to go, that's probably some good work. So the, the, the term I use, my leadership philosophy, if you will, is when I was leading teams in companies and organizations, my philosophy has always been use the work to develop the people. Because I realized, Marquis, that I'm going to have a funeral one day and there will be no bonus checks show up at my funeral. There will be no lake home show up at my funeral. There will be no Mercedes Benz show up at my funeral. It will be people who either loved me, liked me, or hated me. And I want that love column to be really big. So for me, so much of getting more out of your work has to do with how your work impacts other people and then how you treat people in the process of doing doing your work. Mm, how you treat people. Every time you speak, there's always something under underneath there, right? How yeah. how how we treat people. And and especially during this day and time and all of the things that are going on uh in the world. You got that how right. How we treat people, how we relate to people, how we commune with each other has a lot to do with our ability to be able to progress in whatever endeavor it is that that we want to pursue. Why are people important? to the progress, to the growth, to the uh, your movement in life and career and entrepreneurship and whatever the endeavor is. Why, why are people important? You know, um, I tell you, you mentioned this at the time of this recording, we are, we are walking through two recent murders. Mm. Um, And uh, my personal opinion as a person who has the utmost of love and respect for anybody who has what I call a may not come home job. And I talk about this all over the country, wherever I go, a may not come home job is one where your profession means you are willing to risk your life to do your job. So that's military, that's police, that's firefighter. I mean, I could go on and on. Right. Right. So nobody has more love for folks like that than I do. But at the same time, murder is murder. And no position, no color, uniform, no badge, no status gives anybody the right to just murder someone. Well, I just know that there are all kinds of forces at play all around the globe that are trying to get us to not dignify every unique life. People are going to have different ways of thinking, different ways of living, different ways of behaving. But basic human dignity and respect for human life to me is the centerpiece of everything that makes us human. Mm-hmm. We, this is going to sound ridiculously crazy, but I'm seeing videos of animals being more thoughtful about each other than some of us as humans are being thoughtful about one another. Yeah. So for me, I don't care what your work is. If you work in petrochemicals, if you are in nursing, if you are a ballet instructor, it is all about human beings because the interdependence that we enjoy 
is only made better when we dignify and respect each other. So that's why for me, Marquis, that's just so central in the book that I wrote. It's so central in everything I've tried to do in, in my life. Awesome. 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 Well, Derek, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk a little bit more about his book and then just have a little quick fire questions that Derek can kind of share real quickly so that you can learn a little bit more about him. So we'll be right back after this quick commercial break. I want to invite you to schedule your brand maximization discovery session. Whether you're looking for more career or business opportunities, my discovery sessions will give you clarity around your gifts and a strategy to get to the next level. Personal branding is more important now than it has ever been. In today's economy, whether you're employed by a company or yourself, the competition is absolutely challenging. To be on the short list of people who come to mind when key opportunities arise, you have to stand out. And in order to do so and become top of mind for decision makers, you first must take control of your messaging and begin to articulate your value. In short, you must make a name for yourself. And I'm excited to show you how. So if you're interested in taking your personal brand to the next level and building a business around your expertise, skills, and abilities, I want to invite you to schedule your discovery session by going to markheathbrayton.com forward slash consultation. That's markheathbrayton.com forward slash consultation. All right. Welcome back to another opportunity for us to continue this conversation with Derek Young, who's a motivational speaker, as well as a diversity consultant and, and now author, husband, and father. And so let's talk a little bit more about Make My Hindsight Your 2020. And you mentioned in the first part or first half of the interview that it was targeted towards millennials. When you think back to your years of uh, being younger and 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 going through your career and then starting your business, what are you know maybe the top three things you would tell yourself then that you know now? Yeah, that's good. Now, not all this is reflected in the book, but number one would have been to start investing in real estate. <laughs> Probably the first thing I would have said. And for anybody who watches this interview who lives in Nashville. Denver or Austin, I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way at a bare minimum, but, but, but more seriously, um, the first thing would have been to really regularly access mentors for advice on everything. Mm -hmm. There is this notion we have, I'm young and I'm going to figure it out myself. That actually is not a bad thing, mm -hmm. but I have been able to work with wealthy people. I don't know anyone wealthy who is not surrounded by advisors mm -hmm. because they realize that good advice can change your life. So that's one thing looking back. Um, I wish I had been a person who just as a natural reflex. Now, I feel like for me, this may sound like a cop out, but as a person who grew up without a father, I just never had that 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 comfort with going to somebody with my fears, my issues. Uh, but ultimately, obviously, I learned that that was erroneous thinking. The other thing I would say, uh, Mark Keith, is to, to plan. Um, I know we hear things like 
plan your work and work your plan. And it sounds cliched and that. But again, when I look at people who thrive, and I'm talking about in any area of life, parenting, sports, business, they plan. And in my younger years, um, I didn't plan. I, 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 I worked hard. I, I, I did a good job. But there was really no planning involved. So I would redo that significantly. And the third thing, which is really going to go throughout this book, I mean, from first chapter to the to the 10th chapter, is the notion that you really become what you regularly focus on. Mm -hmm. And I know that might sound like hype to some people, but I am literally sitting in this chair in my home and I can remember things I said as a 12 year old in the largest housing project in St. Louis. I can remember things I said as a, an 18 year old at Rockhurst College. And I can see those things. And I realize that the focus, the power of focus is something that I just feel the average many young professionals, they don't have because they sense I've got a lot of time. I, I'm, I'm going to live a long time and, and I, I'll get it done later. My, my real hope for people who get this book, and that's any age group, right. especially my younger friends, is that you see the value of focus and planning. Yep. Now, something that just hit me, and it may be a little bit of different advice that you may give, and that is we both sit here as African-American men who uh, grew up in single parent homes and have had professional careers and now entrepreneurs. Is there anything different that you would say to the African-American male millennial that you, know, you wouldn't necessarily uh, say across the board? That's a really good question. Uh, you know, just right off the top of my head, I think what I would probably say, and I don't know if this maybe relates only to, to the young brothers out there, but diversify your advisory group. Um, everybody watching this has heard of Oprah Winfrey, I'm sure. And whether you like Oprah or not, whether you agree with Oprah or not, you cannot doubt her impact on this planet. My personal opinion, I don't know Oprah. I've never met her. I took my wife to her show for our 10th wedding anniversary, which I am still getting points for, I will say that. But... I believe the thing that in part makes Oprah Oprah is the great diversity of her counsel. Yeah. What do Maya Angelou, Dr. Phil, Bob Green, Dr. Oz have in common? That might be Oprah. That might be the only, but she searches experts out who can speak into her life. That is what I would say to really any person. But I know a lot of the young brothers out there, sometimes you just feel like, man, nobody else can relate to what I'm going through. And that may be true, but quality advice is quality advice. I think that's great. I was listening to Bishop T.D. Jakes yesterday, a sermon he did, I think, early part of May. And it simply talked about changing your circle, uh -huh. that yeah. your circle in and of itself is part of what will dictate your ability to navigate uh, life, your ability to create the levels of success that you truly want to. And sometimes you have to break out of that 
tradition or the circle that you've been in yep. in order to yep. go to that next level. And, and that hit home for me because I've received, you know, different pieces of advice from individuals who are not as familiar with me, but see my potential. And right. that advice has always been, Markeith, it's time for you to shift your circle. So, Markeith, that is so rich. Um, in my book, chapter three is called Surround Yourself with the Right People. Yeah. And uh, something I talk about often is most people know who Warren Buffett is. Mm-hmm. Uh, last I saw, Warren Buffett was worth $80 billion. Wow. Uh, now, we we live in Tennessee, and our state, our state, Markeith, has 7 million residents, roughly, 30 million visitors, and our state budget is $40 billion. So, so Mr. Buffett could pay all the bills for 37 million people for two years and not even flinch. And guess what? He is surrounded by advisors. So I, I just want to I just want to just reiterate that man that I mean there's a lot of points but in this book in in what you brought up that is a massive one and and nobody can tell those stories like TD Jakes can. No, no, he's great. He's great. So let's shift to you know learn a little bit more. I think that everybody gets it that you should go get this book uh, that Derek has been talking about and we'll give you a little bit more information how you can do that towards the end of the podcast. Yep. Let's just have a little little fun here. Uh, Derek, what is your favorite drink? Man, that is going to, I hate to say it's Coca-Cola, but it is. There it is. <laughs> it's out there. Is my wife watching this? No. Yeah. It, it, she will. She will. And, and man, there's nothing like that Coke that has you all stank face and twisted up that gets down. The, yeah. It's, it's Coca-Cola all day long. Awesome. All day long. What's one book that you recommend most people to read? So um, historically, the book I've always said, it's an old book from the 20s, is when, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I think that ought to be part of the U.S., actually the international school system, knowing cultures are different, but that's a big one. More recent, when I deal with a really serious person, meaning this is a person who says, D.Y., I am ready to go to the legendary level of my performance, my attitude. Uh, there's a book called Impact. What do you know? It's called Impact by Dr. Tim Irwin. And that is one of my favorites for, for coaching clients, especially who are ready to just really, um, really just tear the door down in what they do. One person you would love to sit down with the interview, whether they are uh, a living or deceased. You said only one? Because <laughs> I've got to. You give me two. You give me two. Well, there's Paul the Apostle. Uh, there's my grandfather, who I never got to meet, okay. uh, and Harriet Tubman. Though Harriet Tubman, to me, is the greatest American of all time. And wow. I say it all the time, Marquis. When you think what she did, mm-hmm. and guess what? Her freeing slaves was only a piece of what this woman did. What she did, when she did it, how she did it and how she came out after it. I don't know. I don't know how you could, I don't know. I don't know how you could top her. So you say you don't have a hobby, but what's maybe your favorite thing to do with your free time? So, you know, I think I put this in my bio cause it's true. If, if I'm not with my family and if I'm not speaking, coaching, training, consulting, and mentoring it's Cardinals baseball, I go cards. 
you know, I'm Cardinal till the day I die, and Premier League soccer. Um, when I was in high school, my freshman year of high school, 1977, uh, coming from the housing project, I went to an all-boys Jesuit college prep high school called mm -hmm. St. Louis University High School. In the 70s, St. Louis was considered the soccer capital of the United States. The coach of the soccer team at my high school at that time was the winningest coach in America. I don't play soccer, but I fell in love with soccer. And Premier League soccer, in my opinion, that when you watch a Premier League match, the upper division, you're going to see pretty much a team of all-stars. Mm -hmm. So, but that, I, I could watch Premier League and, and Cardinals baseball all day long. Awesome. Last one, favorite food to eat. So I believe when God was thinking of me, because God is eternal, he's the beginning and the end, Alpha and Omega, he said, what would Derek really, really like? And that old chicken, man, I mean, you bring me a chicken any way you want, but just chicken. I mean, I could, I could survive on just about any kind of chicken. Um, you know, chicken cordon bleu. I mean, you know, chicken <laughs> cacciatore. I mean, chicken fried chicken. I mean, come on, man. I, I'm, I'm a chicken guy. Chicken guy. All right. Well, let us know how can people continue to follow you and how can they purchase the book? I know you're doing, you were doing pre-orders. I, I don't know if you still are, but how can people get access to the book as well as continue to follow you? You bet. So you can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn. Instagram, Twitter, right? You can find me there. To get the book, you're going to go to store.derekyoungspeaks.com and click book, store.derekyoungspeaks.com. In addition to my book, Marquis, um, I've got about 27 online webinars. They're 35 to 75 minutes and they are chock full of straight up ideas on how to be more significant at work, how to deal with politics. They're, they're perfect ties to what you're gonna get when you read Make My Hindsight Year 2020. Awesome. So give us your final words to the millennials, to that person who said, hey, I'm ready to go to the next level. I'm ready to really make a greater impact in this world uh, with my life. What would be those final words? So. Being legendary is not necessarily about you. Mm. Being legendary is not necessarily about being widely known. My great uncle put front right tires on Chrysler's for 27 years. Never missed a day of work. That's legendary. Wow. My grandmother with an eighth grade education out of Port Gibson, Mississippi, she worked for two families as a maid her whole life. She had a key to their home. She helped raise their children. That's legendary. My mother was a secretary. Now I always say, we used to say secretary back in the day for the welfare office for 43 years. How many days of work did she miss in 43 years? That would be zero. Wow. How many times was she late for work in 43 years? That would be zero. That's legendary. Legendary is about how you use what God has given to you 
to positively impact other people and to care so much about that impact on other people that you get better, not for your benefit, but for their benefit. So I think wherever you are in your career, if you're 75 years old, if you're 25 years old, if you're somewhere in between, ask yourself, what can I do to be more legendary, to show up in a more legendary way in the lives of the people in my home, in my neighborhood, at my place of worship, at my place of work? And I, I promise you that legendary focus, if that's the way you focus, you're going to have greater joy and more importantly, you're going to have greater impact. I just believe it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. What can I do to be more legendary? D.Y., thank you for joining me on the Maximize Your Brand with Marquise Brain podcast. Thank you, brother. It's a blessing. Decided to take me up on the offer. For those of you who are listening to the podcast, I want to invite you to go to iTunes and rate and review this particular episode. Let us know how it was and let us know, you know, how we can possibly make it better if uh, it's something that you feel like we need to do. Also, those of you who are watching the episode, make sure you leave a comment. Let us know what you thought about this particular interview. And don't forget to go follow uh, Derek Young. What I, what I know for sure is that we all have a purpose. We all have significance that we can offer to the world. But if you don't take the time out to do the work, then you won't reach the goals, you won't reach the vision, and you won't accomplish the things that you want to accomplish. So I thank you for joining me again for this week's episode, and I look forward to you joining me in the future weeks. So just remember this, always shoot for the top because it's the bottom that's overcrowded. Take care.